Hello and welcome. It's a real privilege to be speaking to Jim Collin. Now, Jim was originally an electrical engineer, but he went back to school to study lighting design when he realised that his metric toolbox was just not enough to create good spaces for people. Following his degree, Jim has spent the last 20 years enlightening people in the duality of light as a combination of function and aesthetics. After a multiple award-winning career in lighting design, ending as the international head of the Light Bureau, Jim today drives his own business as an internationally hired speaker and lecturer in lighting, combined with a partnership with the lighting supply company Analyse and Form. Jim has, throughout his career, strived to raise general awareness of the great potential in proper handling of lighting. By creating good lighting for people, enormous energy savings can be made while lowering the total cost of the installation. Really a true win-win-win situation. So Jim, you've been telling me about an office refurbishment where you were able to not only improve the um, energy efficiency, but also improve the quality of the light. So perhaps we could begin by talking about what the context was, what the brief was. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And thank you for having me. And, and uh, well, we're back in 2013, so it's not really fresh, but it relates just as much these days as it did back then. I was just newly hired. We were moving into a completely new built house. It was built as a turnkey project with everything dictated by the uh, contractor. And I was going to set up the lighting division. And just looking at it, it was clear that this wasn't a place where we could sell good um, lighting just for the sake of credibility, basically. Apart from the fact that it was a horrible gray days over everything, as usually is when you just do flat panel installation. And this was actually pre-LED flat panels. So this was fluoro flat panels, but still kind of the same concept. And apart from it being horribly gray, you could clearly see that the energy consumption was tremendous. It was connected to the HVAC system, so it was on and off automatically when people arrived and people go. But it was zoned with 20 people in each zone, so being a consultancy firm, the first one in the morning in comes in about 6 a.m., and the last one leaving leaves about 9 p.m., so that's a lot of hours when someone... And, well, cutting it short, I went to the electrical division and I said, hey, do you want to join me in rebuilding this? We need financing and we need, of course, approval. So I'm going to go to the appropriate board and I'm going to tell them that we can save 80% energy from this completely new build and have a fantastic case. And I'm sure they will approve the money. And I went there and I actually think when I pitched it to the electrical, I said 50%. And then when I approached the board, I kind of raised it because I so badly wanted the new lighting. And I said 80% savings. Intention, of course, wasn't so much to save energy. I mean, that's important to me. That's always been important. But I know that that's going to happen almost as a default. If you do good lighting, you're going to save energy as a default. But still promising 80% was a bit too strong, perhaps. So I went away from there saying, cursed myself. Why did I say 80? Why couldn't I say 70? And then I, I sweated it out for a couple of months as we took everything down for our 500 square meters and replaced it with the new lighting, which we designed from a human perspective. So it was all about getting the visual comfort right, getting the quality right. It wasn't tunable white at the time because we didn't really see the right place for it there. And it was still kind of early technology, but we still did it with a lot of focus on the human perspective and with user control. So everyone can turn on and off their own lighting and you add some automation for that. So it turns off if you forget to turn it off, but it doesn't turn on automatically. You have to say, I need light. So giving it some sort of also a, a 
human rights perspective. No one tells me when I need light, I can judge for myself. And no lighting on the floor, everything directed to either surfaces, uh, working plane surfaces or walls or in between windows. Just getting a bit of light between window frames makes the whole wall appear so much brighter and all of a sudden the window doesn't become so luminant compared to the middle wall. And all of a sudden you can turn down the light level inside the whole room and it appears to be brighter. So no one turns it on just to get rid of that darkness because there isn't darkness anymore. So all of these kind of efforts made from the human perspective. And at the end, uh, when everything was finalized, of course, I was sweating. Uh, did I produce this 80% that I promised? And we measured it and, and we measured it for a full week. And we only redid our small part of the building. So the floor above us that had better daylight, we had running parallel meters for one full week without telling anyone. So it was a complete blind test of everyone involved. And when the result came back, I ordered a, a re-measuring because I didn't trust the result that came in. And then I did it even the third time because the result that was shown afterwards that we had a measured energy savings of 92%. Wow. So 92%, and I always kind of invert that because it's so big a number that you can't really relate to that. But if you invert that and then say that the default solution that was there from the beginning then has an overconsumption of 1,250%. So doing light as a just commodity, putting it there and just all on, all off, and not really taking into account the human perspective, just doing it for the building, light for the sake of building, then you have an overconsumption of 1,250% without cheating in 2013. So still kind of fresh. You were still delivering the same Lux levels? The original solution had 300 Lux all over the place. And we added it all the way up to 800 where you need it. I mean, having 300 Lux for everyone, what does that suit? A, a, a middle-aged man, perhaps, or women? It's still going to be too little for a lot of the, the people working there, and it's going to be way too much for a lot of people. So when you put in user control and you can actually use it yourself and choose how much light you need, then you also free up so much energy that you can put enough light there. And maybe 800 wasn't even enough. Maybe we should have put the 1,000, but at the time we, we did 800. So we put in almost three times as much light where it was needed while we did all these fantastic savings. So it's a good case to show off. And yeah. tell me about the additional cost, because when I speak to property consultants and developers, they say it's more expensive, it'll be value engineered out, and it's complicated, isn't it? All those sensors and all of that, that sounds like a lot of trouble. How do you counter that argument? Well, what I normally tell my clients and my project managers when I come in as a specifier, I'm quite honest. I say from the very first beginning, listen, I'm, I'm not here to make your life easier during the process. I'm here to make you a fantastic solution that's going to get you so much credit over a long time. I'm asking you to put in 10% more efforts and potentially some 10, 15% more in initial investment. But for that, I'm going to give you 100, 200% output. And I'm going to give you savings that's beyond the investment that you need to make now. And this is true even in this case. This was newly built. So it was complete madness to begin with from an economical perspective, you could say. But still, when we did it, and we kind of built a Bentley here. We didn't go for a, a Skoda. We did it because we were going to sit here and sell lighting solutions. So we went for the, for the Deluxe, the Creme Deluxe. And we still managed with every cost shown 
we still managed to get a return of investment of seven years, which might sound as a very long term if you're in the industry process, but Lightning's, we know it's going to sit there for 30 years. I mean, statistics tells us it's going to be there for 30 years. And then from year seven to 30, you're going to make money. And in our case, we had a lease that was 10 years long. So we could actually put up an investment plan where we spent another one year as safety and making annotations, and we could even pay for it. So we made money from second one because the energy savings is so fantastically great. And as, as energy prices are still quite high, they're not high enough because obviously they're too low if you can waste so much energy without being punished. But, but we can still, in every case, as long as you're not just in it for the lowest initial cost. I mean, it's like going to the supermarket. I know we spoke about the supermarket before, but if you go to the supermarket, the very few of us would buy the single package of ketchup or the one roll of toilet paper. We would buy something bigger normally. If we have the capital to spend, we would buy something bigger because we know proportion is going to be so much lower cost. So as private persons, we look at cost and we separate that from investment. But when we build houses, it's almost like we've forgotten about that basic principle of economy and we confuse it and we say the cost is higher with it. No, the cost is lower. The cost is so much lower. There's an initial investment, but the cost comes from second one when you start paying the electricity bill. So, I mean, this sounds like a boombastic sales pitch, of course, and partly it is, mm -hmm. but it's true in every case I've come across. If we just want to look at the economical perspective, and this is just looking at the energy perspective of it, then you can absolutely say, yes, it's going to acquire some initial capital. You need to set aside some capital, or you can get a, a funding from, from a second party or third party that you will pay off with the savings that you make. And that's just looking at the energy. So if you take into account then the well-being of your staff, if it's a workplace, the well-being of yourself or the residents, you take into account that just two people not going on sick leave twice a year. What's the cost of that? What's the savings of that? And if you add all those things, and, and when I do the, the calculations and take into all the factors I can find from this Malmo example that I just told you about, the return on investment is, is a couple of months tops because there's so much money you can put in. And if you do it with, with a proper then investments back where you actually put aside the money and pay it as from the energy savings, then it's money from day one. So that's my quite long answer to your short question. It sounds as though this investment allowed you to use the building in other ways. So you could also use it as a showroom, as a way of demonstrating with pride what you do. Absolutely. For us, it was so many extra pluses there that doesn't apply to everyone else. But yes, you're, you're very true. In the end, we just have to figure out why do we illuminate a room to begin with? Why do we put lighting in a room? Why do we put lighting in a house? Do we put it there for the house sake or for the room sake? Or do we put it there for the tenants, for the people using it? And the main problem we have with lighting is that we, we always handle it as part of the house, part of the room. And, and rooms don't need light. Houses don't need light. Humans need light. And humans need darkness. So when we do the lighting for them instead of for the house, it becomes much better. And we give them control. I mean, to me, I'm a lighting designer by heart. I would say it's almost a human right that I get to control the light, that I get to control the volume. Imagine turning it into sound. You're going to sit in this landscape of other people working, and you're not going to be there by choice, all of us. Some of us are just there because we need the money or because we need the work. 
but you're going to sit there and I'm going to put on whatever music I like. And it's not really going to have some nice changing to it. It's just going to be zzz. And I'm going to control the volume of it. And it's going to be on the second you walk in and it's going to be off when you go, when you leave. But all the time it's going to be there, it's going to be a zzz. No one would accept that. But with lighting, we kind of accept it. Because to a lot of people, that's what light is. It's, it's not positive for everyone. I haven't thought of lighting in the same way, but clearly that's true. And all those comforts you get also, if you do the right lighting, you're going to get acoustics effects without knowing it. One of the coolest thing I would say about this, because we, sit, we sat at this office and, and my former colleagues still do. We sat there for many years and, and we had the other people in the building come visit us or, or visit us, come for project talks. And there was almost the same answer for everyone else. Wow, it's so silent here. What did you do to the acoustics? Well, we didn't do anything. We just took away that static light that makes everyone's voice go up because it, it has that effect on you. If you get too much light, if you get cleared, your adrenaline will go up and you will speak at a higher voice. There's tons of, of studies showing this, especially with uh, daycare and, and such, where you can really show the effects of it. But this is the secondary things that you get, that you get a calm that's not just related to lighting. You get the whole environment, the, it feels different. And, and if you're in this crowd where everyone is loud, then you're going to be loud. And if you're in a, in a room where everyone is kind of mellow and, and still, you're, you're also going to be mellow and still, or the likeliness is bigger at least, not, not to everyone. But. So that's the kind of acoustic side effect you can get. Uh, you're not going to change thermal. Well, you, you can do that as well. The easiest way, if your staff is feeling a bit cold, either you paint the wall red or you, or you project red light on the wall. And, and by seeing that red light, the adrenaline level is going to go up just slightly. And you might go from feeling slightly chilly to not feeling chilly anymore. And that's light for you, but it's thermal. So everything is connected. And then you can never handle lighting separate. You need to have it as one. But it comes down to the basic principle. If you try to make shortcuts, if you try to make it easy by just installing flat panels, you're going to lose. You're going you're gonna to fail because you're going to miss out on the greater picture. And when it comes to lighting, I would translate that into getting the full spectrum. Part of the reason why we're speaking now is for, from full spectrum lighting. And, and the, the difference between having something that has just proportions of energy staggered and, and some spikes here and there compared to having a full spectral distribution, just like the sun, just like daylight, that has all the difference in the world. And it's not going to show in the energy savings because if you're just looking at it from the visual aspect of light, you're going to waste some energy. But by having all those wavelengths, you're going to get all those textures. You're going to get all that information that your mind is built for. We've evolved for millions of years, and then for 100 years, we've had electric light. And well, duh, we need to look at how it was for the millions of years we were before electric lights. Otherwise, we're going to fail. So if you have a client who wants to install basic lighting and somebody who you are trying to convince to install a full spectrum solution. So you could say there's really cheap, really basic. Yep. And then there's kind of okay. And then there's beautiful. Mm. What, it sounds as though the, the transition from really cheap and nasty to standard is something that you can even justify in terms of lifetime of the luminaire and cost savings of other, other sorts. How do you get them to trade up from a basic to a beautiful? In most cases, it's about catching them early enough. 
when they're too far along in the process, when the when the tenant lease is already signed and all the kind of dimension is already there, then it's going to need some additional investment or it need money from the side and it becomes so much more difficult. But if you raise this question early enough, uh, then you can get them to write the, the lease agreements in the right way. And it's also a problem in the building industry. Our lease contracts templates are at least 30 years old. I'd, I've done a lot of hotel projects and I still come across contracts where it's on the landlord to pay for the luminaire and where the uh, tenant pays for the light bulb. And there isn't a light bulb anymore, but the same thing still applies. The tenant pays for the electric bill, but the landlord pays for the investment of the energy consumer. So there's no connection between energy in and energy out. It's completely uh, cut off. But you could easily justify this by just looking at how are the contracts made, how are the lease contracts made, and just say, okay, we can either do it the old-fashioned way, and we're both going to lose money. Or we can do it in a new way where we actually look at what technology do we have and how can we handle it from the right way? How can we put up a, a, a lease that is partly then based on sick leave as well? I mean, it's going to be a risk for me as a landlord, but if I can prove that I have healthier buildings, I'm going to say healthier buildings, and it doesn't really work with me because a building, well, it can induce health or it can induce the lack of health. So in that case, it's correct. But if you can show that, then you can also get a higher lease rate and you can pay for a bigger investment because that's when it comes down to, I mean, the reason why everyone builds, it's hard not to say bad words here, but I'm going to say crappy solutions. Sorry for that. It's not because they're mean people. It's because the, the economical incentives drives them in that solution. But if someone would just help them in, in raising the bar, then they could easily justify that cost. I mean, it's not going to be a cost. It's going to be an investment that pays off from day one. In the end, it comes down to raising general awareness. I mean, the demand isn't there anymore. I can tell people that they need better light and I can prove it to them, but I need to be there every single time. And, and even if there's a hundred of me, we're still going to be too few of us. So what we need is the general crowd understanding this has a great impact. They don't have to understand how it works, but they need to raise the claim for it and say, we want it to be better. I don't want to sit in this static. Agreed. That's something that Florence Lamb from Arup raised is that in the early days, she had to make a business case every time that she wanted to introduce LED lighting mm. because that was new. And mm. now LED is just on the list. It's like having a a ramp for disabled people, it's like having a security system, it's mm. probably like having a health and safety policy in an organization. And the aim of projects like this and these sorts of interviews is to say, there needs to be a time quite soon when good quality lighting is also standard. You expect to have computer security, you'd expect to have those sorts of other basics of an infrastructure of a well-run organization. And yeah. I think the future of good quality lighting, and I'm not even going to say healthy lighting, just above the bog standard, I think, yeah. is to raise our understanding uh, for that to be on the checklist, something mm. else that you would expect. It's about general awareness. You and I discussed food examples before, but, but I don't know if it makes sense, but you could look at ketchup as a sauce. There's nothing wrong with it as a sauce, but you wouldn't use it seven days a week. You know it's not going to have all the nutrition that you need, and you're not going to use it as a basic thing in your cooking. But there's nothing wrong about it. And it same goes with kind of flat panels. So you could use everything as long as you use it in the right place and in the right proportions. But when you use 
too basic lighting as your general solution, then you're basically putting up a plate of ketchup and saying, here's the sauce, and maybe I'll put in a small piece of potato for you. It might be food, but it's not going to be a dish. And if you think about the sustainability question, we know yeah. that the, the cheaper products, not only is there the way that they've been built, mm. not necessarily as well regulated, but also we know that they fail more quickly and that only about 20% of luminaires are ever actually recycled at all. Mm. Mm. So I think that's a false economy from an environmental perspective. There's an absolute false economy. If we go back and look at fluoros, I think part of the problems we've had is that they were too robust because when the Swedish Energy Department looked at the statistics for the office and, and a lot, lot of other buildings in Sweden, and we figure out that the average lighting installation was 35 years old, and that was the average. And if you look at cars, and, and this makes more sense in Sweden, but it's the Volvo 245. Uh, a fantastic robust car. A lot of people love it, but it has an energy consumption of 1.5 liters per 10 kilometers. Don't even know what that relates to in gallons, but it has a huge energy usage, but it's convenient and you can change the light bulbs yourself and it holds forever. But when that becomes the standard, then it's not going to be good. So we need to handle that aspect as well, because sustainability is not about just building something that's going to last forever. It needs to last the amount of time that you want to use it and then make sure that you can reuse it. Or if you can't reuse it, recycle it. The real answer is, okay, looking at it from here and now, we need to realize that the consumer market and the construction departments also has driven away everything that was quality to begin by asking for prices that are way too low. When we went from an incandescent bulb, that cost five kroners, which would be like uh, 40 pence uh, a piece at high level. And that had 1,000 hours of, of lifespan, and it had kind of 10 lumens per watt. And then you went to an LED bulb today that has 20 times as long a lifetime, and they're going to have an energy usage that's one-tenth of the incandescent. And we as consumers ask that it's going to have the same price as an incandescent had. We could potentially go for twice the price, but not higher than that. So basically, we're asking to get 30 or 40 times as much value for just two times as much investment. And that's what happens in, in the construction field as well, because prices have gone down. When fabricators could sell a good quality lighting fixture for the equivalent of, of 400 pounds some 15 years ago, that same level now is about 150 pounds or 200 pounds. With inflation going up, the, the prices have gone in the opposite direction. And, and in all fairness, I'm part of, of selling lighting fixtures now, so I'm speaking in my own interest. But there's something when you, when you ask for quality and you're taking away the money part of it, it's not going to work. So we need to realize that the cheapest solutions out there, they are too cheap. They are too cheap because it's impossible to get a sustainable way of development. How can you assure that there's no child labor involved in producing? I mean, one of the main problems in finding good products to sell is that when you validate that everything is legit, that there is no false game going on, then the price is going to be so high that, that it's hard to sell. But we still do it because we think that's the way to go. But it's very, very tough. If you look beyond that, then, okay, what kind of quality is there involved in it? How long will they hold? You need to realize that it costs a bit more to get decent quality. They're going to be sitting there, the lighting fixtures. They're going to be up there for a very, very long time. And they better do a good job.
But the best thing we can do is to take them away from the building and take them down to the tenants, to the users of the space. I think the construction industry needs to stop focusing on building ready to move in kind of houses and say, we provide you with an infrastructure, but just as you provide your own tables, you need to provide your own light fixtures. We provide you with infrastructure that, that's easy to hook up because otherwise we're going to have tenants move and we're going to have rebuilds and then we're going to throw it away. And it doesn't matter if we have something that's going to last for 30 years and we throw it out after four years because we get a new tenant. So either we then need to build something that only lasts for four years, which doesn't make any, any good sense, or we need to come up with new ways of, of lease terms, perhaps. Maybe you don't buy your luminaires, maybe you lease them, but we need to work as a whole. It's not just the suppliers, it's not just the manufacturers. It needs to be the whole circle of, of actors that look at it from another perspective and choose good, decent quality luminaires. If you know that you're going to be in the same place for a long time, then I can guarantee you that paying a decent price, it's going to save you money in the long run. It's going to take down the cost of maintenance. I mean, I've done so many inspections, energy audits for, for industry, where the cost of just putting down the conveyor belt and having that stop for one hour is going to be higher than the complete installation cost. And they still question why there needed to be a, a lifetime expectancy of, of 10,000 instead of 5,000. Well, you run a five shift work here. It's just going to take you one year to get that money back. And when you look at it from a total cost of ownership, there's just pluses. I think the biggest challenge I've come across is that this message is almost too strong. It's a win-win-win situation. And people are always going to be kind of curious somewhere, where's the catch? You're fooling me. But there is no fooling. It's just that the general public is still kind of laying on the ground. So when we try to tell them how they can run faster, we're going at it in the wrong pace. We need to focus on how can we get them to crawl first and then walk, potentially run it at some point in time. But that's not where we can start. No, I, I agree. And I think to go back to the to the food analogy, yeah. um, we can see that there's a difference between an individual portion of ketchup mm. and a bottle of ketchup and a tomato. Mm. Mm. But it, it's not obvious when you buy the product how different it's going to feel. And it's certainly not obvious how long it's going to last. Mm. In the past, a bank would chisel its name on the front of the building and now you stick a label on yeah. um, that you take with you and mm. i think our expectation of how long we will be anywhere is very different so i think yeah. your your radical suggestion which i completely agree with as do people like elon musk with a lease situation has got to be the one of the ways of thinking about our future consumption of a luminaire in the same way as we would think about taking our television with us or our mm. fridge those are things mm. that you would expect to, to take along when you move. Yeah. This is hard because we need to free ourselves of old way of thinking because it, it needs some extra attention for us. Back in the days when I did energy audits, I kind of landed on the case. Well, you could either continue to pay £10 a month to the energy supplier or you can start paying £3 a month to the energy supplier and, and £6 to the bank. And they're going to say, no, I don't want to pay the bank. Then I'm going to be in debt. Well, the, the accumulated cost is still going to be nine compared to 10. So paying the energy bill that's overly high, it's also a debt. But it's a debt to someone that doesn't feel like a debtee. So it doesn't feel like the bank. So we need to free ourselves of old ghosts as well to look at it with fresh eyes. How can we look at it? I mean, 
buying or renting a place that doesn't have any lighting, oh, then I need to provide lighting. No, let's go for that place that, ha that already had lighting. But if you ponder on the thing that, well, that place that has lighting, that might have lighting that makes you sick or might make our staff feel sick, or maybe not sick. It doesn't have to be that radical. It just can take down productivity by 2% or efficiency by 2% or creativity by 2%. If it's just about productivity, we can probably agree that just putting up massive amount of light and having everyone sit under a thousand lux, it's going to get the productivity quite nicely up there. But if you do any sort of creativity work, then that sort of setting is going to kill you. Well, it's not going to kill you, but it's going to kill your creative process, which also is scientifically proven without any contest that you need a more variable stimulating environment if you're going to be creative. Mm -hmm. And most of us look at lighting as it was produced. I mean, the standards were produced many, many, many years ago. And when you look at how much light you need on the vertical or on the horizontal surface, it's much about reading a, a piece of paper with black writing on it. And um, how much time is that if you look just at an office spot? How many hours a day do you do that? How many hours do you look at the self-illuminated screen? How many hours do you actually communicate with your colleagues, with your clients? And then sitting in the lighting that's just producing enough light on your horizontal surface, but makes your complete eye go dead or your, your, your face go dead. There's no real texture to anything. And all these nuances in the communication goes away. And all you have left is your vocal ability. Communication comes from everywhere. It's how it's said, it's how it's communicated. It's if you see me. And, and if we turn off the camera now, you're going to have a much harder time understanding me. So it's not just about seeing, it's about understanding. So we need to completely challenge that. How much light do we need? Why do we need it? And when do we need it? And when we all do all that, we're going to save money, we're going to save energy, we're going to have a healthier crowd. Everything is going to be better. What a brilliant way to complete this conversation. Thank <laughs> you so much, Jim. Yeah, fantastic. So much to think about. So thank you. Thank again. you. And thank you for having me.